Hello and welcome fellow creatives. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging and inspiring you to keep creating. Thanks for joining us on this journey to explore all things creative. I'm Derek Wagner. And I'm Riley Peterson. And this is the Living Creativity Podcast. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us again. Today we're gonna bring you guest Lindsay Maralados. She is a marketing professional, an avid reader, and a person who seems to have a passion for creativity spanning all the way back to when she first started exploring it in high school. It's a fun conversation, goes all over the place, and I think you'll really appreciate hearing Lindsay's perspective. I know I did. Uh, Marketing is one of those strange things that you don't always understand exactly how it works, but it is chock full of creativity and chock full of fun stuff. So we hope you enjoy. Now let's get to the show. Thank you for joining us. And today we've got Lindsay Marlados joining us. <laughs> we are, <laughs> I tried, I tried. You're good. You <laughs> so yeah, we, we have a really interesting one here. So what's cool is uh, she's been a director of marketing and a really cool background in that regards and uh yeah we're just really excited to kind of jump right in so lindsay how do you feel that creativity plays a part in your uh, employment and just in your life in general well i so i was a director of marketing at a company within the recycling and manufacturing industry for five and Mm -hmm. a half years prior to that i was within the cybersecurity realm for a couple years doing marketing with that. And then previously I was always kind of dabbling with a little bit of something within the arts. So I did graphic design ever since I was in, you know, starting high school and then that, you know, developed into photography and then sculpting and then animation. So I've always done something within the creative realm. And then when I kind of started doing that marketing aspect, you know, while well, with being the director of marketing, you have to also have a little bit of psychology and then you have to be able to pay attention to analytics. But especially when you're managing a team of creatives, you kind of become a creative director in a sense mm-hmm. where you have to be able to understand people's strengths and where they can grow and really developing their creativity and also developing their careers. Um, so I've always kind of had my hands in a little bit of everything, whether it's graphic design, photography, you know, color theory, understanding what people like to see or don't want to see, you know, and it kind of all goes hand in hand. That's awesome. So yeah, we actually interviewed uh, a gentleman named Dave. He, he is currently in graphic design. And so that was a really interesting interview to get his perspective and how how there are certain parallels that we could meet, even though, you know, neither Derek or I were into graphic design. Um, That was a really fun conversation, but it does sound like that you really have time to touch to everything and almost like Mm -hmm. you enjoy everything, um, which is really neat. And I I actually am curious about (laughs) uh, being in my, my thought pattern is being a creative director sounds like you're trying to herd cats. (laughs) <laughs> you have all these creative people like, what about this and this and that? And it's like, oh my gosh, how do you even, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I've heard different, different ways that people kind of manage, but I was curious to know what your, uh, how you do it. Like, what's your plan of attack when you come to trying to wrangle in creative minds? 
into, hey, we have one common goal here? I think it's, it's, it's a little bit of, there's obviously the vision that we have for mm-hmm. what we want to show as a whole for a company, but then also they have their individual visions and what that gets them excited and what they want to try. So it's finding that balance between, hey, we need to show this, but I want you to show this because this is what you want to do. Hmm. You know, so at my old company, they, a couple of my team members or my employees absolutely love Star Wars. Absolutely okay. love Star Wars. So it was like, okay, fine. Make a May the 4th video. I don't care. <laughs> this stuff has to get done. But yeah. go out and make your May the 4th video. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're playing around with making costumes to look like, um, oh, I can't remember the little creature's names, the one that go and steal all the metal. Oh, Oh my gosh. I feel so terrible. What are, what are they called? You know what I'm talking about? Those, yeah. little, those little guys, you know, but then they're playing in after effects to create that light saver motion and sound effects and coloring. Mm. And, you know, you have to be able to know where their strengths are, uh, where they can learn, but, you know, also making sure that there's certain goals that have to be met. And with being able to, since I've dabbled in so many different things, I also have to be able to communicate their language. So if I'm talking to our video editor, I have to be able to understand what goes into editing a video and coloring a video and doing the sound. You know, if they're designing a graphic for a t-shirt, I have to be able to communicate that. If they're designing a graphic for, you know, just a general brochure handout or social media post, you know, I have to be able to communicate what we're looking for. But at the same time, I'm hands off in the sense of do what you want to do and then bring it to me when you're ready for my input. Yeah. It's like you have to know a level into their field, mm-hmm. into everybody's field, at least a level. And, so that way you can talk. And you have to have method. a general idea of the platforms they're using as well. So you have yeah. to have at least be familiar with those platforms. So that way, if they're stuck or struggling, or I can give an alternative and be like, hey, did you try this? You know, mm. what if you or what if we did this instead? You know, kind of give alternatives. Yeah. That's cool. Do you do you feel like the platforms stay? Do you feel like the platforms are constantly evolving in terms of oh, the capabilities? Okay, that was and so then that's something that you have to keep up on. Then is what are the latest greatest platforms, and is it really worth the cost? Is it really worth our time? Is it really worth learning a whole new concept? Um, yeah, well, we, I, I mean, that, that too, most industries are using like Adobe, right? So when you're right. looking at Photoshop, Illustrator, Premiere, some people yeah. use Final Cut. Really, when it comes to video editing, there's a lot of different platforms. When it comes to graphics or photo editing, it's Lightroom, Photoshop, or Illustrator. There's, if okay. you're using Canva, that's cool. That's great. It's not going to give you the same capabilities as other platforms. I right. haven't found a real competitor to those three. But those three are evolving constantly, especially with AI becoming oh, as yeah. prevalent as it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the, it's kind of one of those things is there's some ways to use it. I still feel a little iffy because sometimes I feel like it's stealing artwork from other artists, which I'm not comfortable with. So I really have to yeah. be mindful of how I'm using it. Right. Um, but if there is a way to kind of streamline a process to make it a little bit quicker, make it a little bit easier. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I, a couple quick comments to the AI thing. I just want, I, I, I always come back to it. It's, it's really interesting to me. And so it's, I, I just enjoy hearing, you know, so your perspective on it. It sounds like you're, you know, kind of in the middle a little bit, like, ah, oh, some utility, some, you know, concerns about it. Um, what are some ways that, like, you've seen it being used in, uh, you know, kind of the creative spaces that you're in that have 
done the streamlining and, and helped that efficiency? Well, it depends on what you're trying to do. So if you're taking a photo and you're just trying to expand on the sky to be able to get more within frame, that's one thing. If you, I saw a video where somebody was using it where they were creating a business card, but they or sorry, correction. It was like a menu or a napkin, but they wanted to create the environment that it would be in. And so they created like a beach towel and a pool and it, it looked like it was actually there as opposed to having to go on site to take that photo. That's mm-hmm. where I think it can be utilized. My issue comes into when people become AI artists where they mm-hmm. are putting information into MidJourney or what other platform they're using and they're utilizing other people's art, especially in like a fandom space. I read a lot. So whenever people have these characters in mind, you have these artists that are taking the time to draw these artists Mm. from their, or these characters from their mind. But then you have these AI artists that are stealing those looks to create a mid-journey developed character. And then they're fixing it in Photoshop, which I don't feel comfortable with. I think that's stealing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause the, these AI technologies, they're only able to do anything with data that they already have access to. And so exactly. they've seen that somewhere and they're taking it and making modifications on all of those modifications. They're not, you know, native to AI, right? That's uh, more data that they've acquired from somewhere else. And so you can really see the huge ethical concerns, especially as it concerns artists that are trying to, you know, earn an income and earn a wage mm-hmm. and trying to just live. You know, you can really see that becoming a big problem. Uh, there was a, a podcast that I listened to a while back. Um, the she's a writer and you know, she's kind of more AI positive. And, and so she was talking to this other guy who felt similarly to her and he's kind of used it to, um, I guess, try to create, you know, artwork and concept art for this fantasy book that he's written and everything. And I, you know, would be curious to find out if there's a way that you can use it. That's also like protecting artists who don't want their work, you know, just out there being manipulated and being, because that sounds like, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind is, wow, that that would kind of make the publishing, uh, the entire publishing environment more accessible for, for indie authors, right. Mm-hmm. Who are, you know, if you're, if you're an indie author, you're stacked against, you have stacked against you the, uh, traditional publishing and all of the marketing power and all of the, you know, dollars that they have to throw at, you know, whatever artists they can possibly buy for their, their author's books. So it's like, it's very, you know, difficult to, to compete like that. So if there was a way to use it, that could simultaneously help those authors, but also like protect, uh, you know, the, the artists who are not wanting their data just to be totally taken and, you know, modified without their consent. That would, sounds wonderful, <laughs> but it's like, yeah. How do you it's accomplish something yet. like that? Yeah, it's crazy. Well, and the, the other thing too, and I do not which, remember which court level this was at, but if I remember correctly, they cannot copyright AI art. No. So it's, if an indie author is going to use AI art for their covers, that's not copyrighted. Anybody right. can use it. So yeah, it and that's, creates that seems a level like a huge of competition problem. that they might not want. Yeah, yeah. Well, and imagine if you've written something... Uh, and you've got this, you know, all these characters and concept art and all of this stuff. Or, you know, the, I, I always think about things in the context of writing because that's what I do. But um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, imagine, you know, you have something that takes off, you know, indie author taking off like, wow, great. That almost never happens. But now anyone who wants to use any of your characters, uh, you know, likenesses or their your concept art like it can just be theirs as well and that seems like a situation as an author that you wouldn't want to end up in and i can imagine if you've if you're an ai artist and you're like wow i think i've come up with something really cool here but then someone just goes and swipes it it's like mm-hmm. you know you've got there's no recourse for that well and most authors though are also making it to where ai artists cannot license their art so if you have you know, if you're part of a fandom and you want to be able to sell T-shirts, actual designs on either on the shirts, the hats, whatever, or actually sell your art, you have to be licensed by that author to use those character likeness. Yeah. They are not licensing AI artists. Yeah. So AI artists problem. can't sell their art. Hmm. Or at least they can't sell it legally. Yeah, legally. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, the, the AI thing, it's such a... I, I mean, and so much of it is just speculation at this point, right? Because we have no idea where the courts are going to land and, and whether they're going to, I guess, land on the side of maybe some of these big corporations that have a lot of dollars backing them to to kind of fight their legal battles. But also, it's like, are they going to land on the side of, you know, the innovators and the creatives and the entrepreneurs, the people that are, you know, would really benefit from that protection? So I, that's an, it's an ever-present question in my mind these days as I've mm-hmm. kind of followed the... You know, all of a sudden there was chat GPT and then there was mid journey and all this stuff kind of happened, you know, around the same time and it just blew up and it was like, it's, it's been fascinating to watch. If it's written, it doesn't bother me as much as if, than if it's like actual art, you know, if it's a written word, you can easily change that and use it as a guide or an outline. And there are so many different ways of using AI to help with writing that I don't, I'm not as uncomfortable with, but when it comes to actually generating art that I'm like. Yeah. 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 I wonder why. um, I mean, I guess you kind of outlined it partially there, right? In terms of you can use it to outline, but you can still flesh it out or you can edit and alter it to make it your own, you know, your own voice or your own style. But, you know, there's and I agree, like there's definitely like a distinction between like the, the art side and the writing side. And I guess it's just because that visual data is different than like language data, right? Well, Those- if you look at what, so if you're using chat GPT, like to say to write a fantasy story, you know, if that's stealing from somebody like that, that's pretty noticeable. But if you're right. looking up AI art, cause like, Hey, I want some information on the best way to make a, a chicken dish. Right. Mm-hmm. There's only so many ways you can write that differently. Right. Well, I mean, there's a lot of ways, but it'd be really hard to really be plagiarizing somebody in that sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Definitely interesting. Wow. Well, thanks for uh, chiming in on the AI topic there. <laughs> like every interview, dude. <laughs> I just can't help it. It comes up, and I'm just like, you know, we gotta, we gotta hear about it a little bit. So, thanks for indulging me, Lindsay. I really appreciate yeah, that. That's great. <laughs> well, it's. It, I, I also find it interesting too because you know you're in professional environments in which these matters are going to come up more. You know, and mm-hmm. you've got at some level, you know, maybe employees that are going to be wondering, like, can I use these tools to increase my productivity or, you know, and, and is that, is it still authentic? Is it still the same? Like, you know, these are all questions that I think we just have no idea what to do with yet. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. yeah, just fascinating In my stuff. sense, if you can do it to streamline your process and make it easier by being, but still being ethical, have at it. 
if it makes right. your life easier, do it. You know, it just, in my work, it doesn't affect us as much. It's more so when you get into really true art, that's mm-hmm. where I have a, you know, yeah. I'm not that comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah, that absolutely. Makes sense. That's, I think that's a reasonable take as well. <laughs> so you mentioned you really enjoy books. Are there certain yeah. authors that you like the most or are there certain book series that you're like, I'm all about these? So I, I read a lot. I mean, like this year, I think I've hit 75 books nice. this year. So I don't really like going down the list of books. I'm more so like, fa- so I read mainly like fantasy, paranormal, urban fantasy. So like Fiona Andrews, I really love, Karen Moaning. Uh, there's an indie author and I think it's like, I don't even remember her name. She read a really cool fantasy book. She's, she lives in New Zealand. I don't oh, remember cool. her name. Nice. That's the problem is I read so many books that I don't remember <laughs> the name of the books or the authors half the time. Yeah. So yeah, I think this year is, I, I've read like 200 books in one year once. I think Jeez. it was like just over 200. Wow. And then like, so I'm, I'm in that like high number typically. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, I don't usually read that many books each year. It's, yeah, that's a lot. Good on you. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't well, watch TV, so it's like I just read. Yeah. Heck yeah. But it's a mix of audiobook and um, actual, like my ebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah, physical yeah. books. Well, uh, Derek is actually working on a fantasy novel. Really? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Yep. So, I'll beta read if you want. Yeah. Sweet. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Make sure you guys ready. <laughs> yeah it's been, well it, it, it's gonna get it's gonna be ready i've been working on this stupid thing for like five years now and it's epic yep. fantasy so i don't know if that's uh necessarily your uh completely you know, cool cool well yeah well, when, when it gets done and it will get done I've, i'm making <laughs> strides uh, these days on it it's you know uh it's like the first uh book that i've written that i'm like taking really seriously and like trying to you know apply mm-hmm. story theory to it and, and, you know, give it some structure, give it some, you know, little TLC to, to elevate it. So it's a, that whole process, you know, when you really want to make it as good as you can and, and make the story work well, uh, yeah. takes a lot. So every now and then I land on like author TikTok. Mm-hmm. I'm usually on like book talk and then every now and then I'll come into author TikTok and sometimes I'll listen to it. And the one thing they always say is hire an editor. Yeah. No matter what yes. you want to publish, whether it's indie or you want yeah. to try to do traditional, hire an editor, an yeah. experienced editor. Yes. Invest yeah. the money to do that. Yeah, definitely. Good advice. So yeah, the, the, that editor piece is, is a tough one. There's a lot of, um, indie authors out there that I think, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, I'm smart. I can catch these things or whatever. I can figure these things out, but yeah, you, you got to have that that trained set of eyes looking for those things in particular. I do some uh, freelance work writing uh, fiction, short stories for for clients. And, um, you know, I have, I have this one client that I'm working with and she took what I wrote. And normally she edits it herself just, you know, as I, get, I mean, she's technically the author, right? Because she's the one who claims the work after I've written it and everything. But then she got too busy, couldn't edit it herself. So she had this other editor that she hired to it. And you could just tell the difference between someone who's like an actual editor versus someone mm-hmm. who's like, you know, Oh, Hey, I'm paying ghostwriters to self-publish, you know, so I can self-publish all these books and kind of run a business that way, which it's like, yeah, you know, that's fine. No shade thrown, but it, it is interesting to see, you know, that difference. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And I can tell who the 
you know, editor is here. As a reader, it's really hard to come across. I, I, I do. I try to read indie authors, especially debut novels, yeah. you know, and I, I read them knowing that they're debut. Yeah. Mm. But sometimes it's like, oh, do I really want to deal with that? Like, do I really want to have to skim most of the page because there's so much information that doesn't need to be there? Hey, that doesn't matter. <laughs> do I really care? Or does that really need to be on the page? Like their yeah. internal monologue does not need to be a paragraph long. Right. It's, right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, their, their adventure does not need to be 50 goddamn pages. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's one of those, it's hard sometimes as a reader. To, well, it is. And, and I mean, that's, I, I could probably compare the draft that I've, I'm sitting on right now and look back at draft one and, you know, you'd see all of those same things, you know, there's, uh, I, I think if there's one thing that I would criticize, uh, five years ago, Derek, uh, for writing, it's all the navel gazing. <laughs> it's like, you know, how, how much do we have to sit here and, you know, kind of ruminate on in yourself and, you know, just, yeah, it was, it's embarrassing. So that draft will never see the light of day. The one thing I love about epic fantasy, though, is obviously the world building, but sometimes if the world building is so drawn out or just too, too heavy, like information load at front, it's really hard to kind of get involved mm-hmm. in it. But if it's done well and really integrated into the story, it yeah. makes you feel a lot like it's alive. I yeah. love that. But I yeah. love the found family that you get in epic fantasies. Yeah, you yeah. know that the camaraderie, the you know, the challenges, and the, that just that family environment. I, that's what that's I'm cool. always looking for in those type of books. And sometimes it falls short, and I'm just so brokenhearted. Yeah, like, yeah, child. definitely. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I'm, I'll uh, definitely uh, hit you up, I guess, if if and when <laughs> I'm getting this thing completed, and hopefully, you know, if it needs evisceration, then you just do that so I, I i'm part of a writing group that uh we uh, write, you know submit work to each other and uh tear tear it apart and so i've learned <laughs> a lot in the last like year just getting you know you show up to your first uh, one of those and you're like i'm a pretty good writer and then you know by the end of the first week you're like oh yeah so turns out i suck <laughs> like, <laughs> so, i know nothing but, but it's, it's you know the collaboration is is so important and I think that mm-hmm. so many writers, you know, and I think that's probably why you have so many of the indie authors on, you know, Amazon just trying to make it writing a couple drafts and calling it good. You know, they're not necessarily getting it in front of the eyes that that would really benefit from, you know, tearing it up and, you know, presenting this mess to you to fix because they really do that. <laughs> you know, it's like if you've got a good critique partner, a good writing group that can give you critical and honest and, and useful feedback. That's the mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It's hard. You have to be any, willing to take it. Yeah, you do. You do. And it doesn't feel good. I usually, I, I noticed a pattern in myself with critiques is that, uh, you know, I, you, we'd submit them on like Thursday, Friday, and then read them over the weekend and you know everyone would do their reviews and their critiques. And then, uh, Mon, you know, by by the time Monday's rolling around, you've already gotten some of the feedback, and you're looking at it, and you go through this like whole like grieving process of like, you know, you're in denial, and then you're angry, and then you're like, you know, <laughs> sad, and you get all brokenhearted. But then, you know, meeting rolls around twelve o'clock on Monday, and it's like, okay, I can let's let's see what I can do to fix this. You know, <laughs> so, let, me, let me just sweep up all the pieces off the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that well, that's probably a part of. uh 
being a creative director that you have to kind of do a little bit too, don't you? Is mm. offer people like, you know, hey, you've given me this this product, you know, that we're supposed to present for the company or whatever, and it's not up to snuff. Like, how do you as the director manage giving that feedback? Because, you know, just on like a peer-to-peer basis, that is feels difficult enough. But when, you know, you're kind of overseeing a team, it, you know, like it seems like it would be complicated. What's what's your experience been like in that? For me giving critique or receiving it? Uh, giving it. Actually, I would like oh, to I know. No. I would like to know uh, receiving as well. That'd be really interesting. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of one of those things where giving criticism. Usually, I will try to get an idea of why they did it that way, right? Like, what was mm-hmm. your thought process behind going in this direction? Like, what were you trying to achieve? And Sometimes I, I pick my battles like it's like it's not that big of a deal. I'll live. If I really mm-hmm. don't like something, I say I don't like this. This needs to be changed or you can make that, but I'm not posting it. Um, right. Like mm-hmm. I, I have that ultimate control of it's not going out. Yeah. If yeah. This is going to be the final work. But for the most part, it's just it's a conversation. You know, it's, mm. you know, let, let me see that again. Or what if we tried this? You know, it's, it's really kind of just going back and forth um, and trying to find trying to find an alternative way to show what we're trying to show. Right. Yeah. Um, for receiving critique, I don't know, I guess I don't, in some senses, I don't feel as strongly in the sense that like, if I'm presenting this and somebody doesn't like it, I'm going to be so brokenhearted. Mm. Right. To me, it's like, whatever, it's not that end of the world. We can t- tweak it or they don't like it. A lot of times like, eh, it's fine. Just whatever. Use it. You know? And yeah. especially depending on where it's, where's it going? How are we using it? Yeah. If this is going to Who's print and it's going to be printed on a 30 foot by 50 foot wall. That's a little different than if it's just a social media post. Right. Right. Yeah. The stakes are maybe a little higher when it's that, that giant wall that you've got to plaster this, this artwork or whatever onto. But if it's mm-hmm. social media, like what's the attention span on social media, right? Someone will like the post and then they'll never think about it again maybe 24 hours every now and then it might get a resurgence later on or a tiktok video might or instagram reel might pick up later but for the most part i give it like 24 hours wow yeah that's interesting like a pretty good pretty good standard to live by (laughs) 24 hours that's that's probably gonna get so one of the things i ran across which i thought was really good is that that why question whenever you are especially if you're giving somebody critique uh when when somebody presents something you're like well there's a difference between why did you do that versus so what were you what was your thought process when you were making this part like you're getting more specific and using the what question instead of the why because why is almost like this at least not not always but a lot of time when you ask the why question it gets like an automatic defensive um response Mm-hmm. reaction yeah it's, it's almost yeah. like uh instantly comes off as an attack or something right right, right. which is silly because it, it's it's not inherently supposed to be <laughs> but maybe, maybe that's but, just how we've we've as people in our culture for some reason when someone comes at us and they're like hey why did you do this it's like hmm, why are you asking me that yeah you know, it's like okay it come, yeah, it, we're, yeah. we're trained to think of it as an attack <laughs> i guess well so. and i think if you for me it's like i, I would know my team members so i would communicate with each of them differently right to their to what they Ah. works well for them right exactly but the problem with me is everything it says on my face so they automatically know when i don't like something anyways 
So it's not like uh, they're they're already kind of prepared. Gotcha. So, but it's it just kind of knowing knowing how to communicate with them, knowing what kind of conversation needs to be had, mm-hmm. and knowing when to pick your battles. Yeah, no, those I think those are all useful strategies because obviously you can really get hung up on things that may not necessarily matter in the end, especially if it pertains to something like, you know, an Instagram post or something like you said, right. It's like, you know, are we going to really stress that much about perfection on something like that? Probably not. That makes sense. I feel like that would be, you, you almost have to have a certain personality type in order to adopt a mindset like that though, or, or work really hard at it because, you know, for, for the perfectionists out there, <laughs> it can be like really, tough to let things go you get used to saying i don't care it's fine just post it yeah I don't just care. do it let's just go let's be done let's move on let's move on <laughs> no that's that's, that's really awesome. interesting i was i was gonna uh go back to one of the earlier things that you had said that i it just keeps pinging back in my brain you know you mentioned um you know that you kind of dabbled in everything before you kind of ended up where you were at and mm-hmm. i was curious was that just out of interest things that you're interested in or was it necessity like oh hey this is a gig that i've got so i'm gonna learn the ropes well so when i was i think like a freshman i started doing graphic design but within that was also like drafting so drafting by hand yeah mm-hmm. drawing in a sense i'm not a, i'm horrible at drawing first off <laughs> horrible at it all right Same, but uh, don't worry. good to know <laughs> Give me rulers and scales and I can do that. You give me yeah. a paper and draw a person, it's going to look janky. <laughs> but <laughs> I did graphic design all through high school. And then while I was in high school, I went to Academy of Art. They had a summer program for like you lived in the city in between your like junior and senior year. And so when I was there, I did like logo design, uh, sculpting, photography, and uh, printmaking. Hmm. And then when I finished high school, I did a little bit of community college, but I still did uh, like graphic design a little bit more. I still did photography. I still did different types of art. And then I went to art school in San Francisco back to Academy of Art. And I dabbled with fine art sculpting. So within that, you also have to do drawing, which is horrible. You have to like <laughs> sculpt like the anatomy of like an actual person out of oh clay. Which, well, that was really cool. But then I also played around with like animation, but I always kind of came back to graphics in some way. Mm. Um, Cause with graphic design, there's so many different ways that you can take it. Yeah. I hate, yep. absolutely hate logo design. Absolutely hate it. <laughs> That's I will hilarious. not do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's um, hilarious. But there's, there's just so many different things. So within my job, I mean, at my new job, I'm a team of one, you know, yesterday I went to a customer's oh, wow. location. I was playing photographer. I'm making presentations, I'm making graphics, you know, I'm, I'm doing it all, knowing that at some point I will build a team because this, this, my position in this department never existed before. Oh, right? interesting. But they can't just be like, oh, here, we're going to bring you on and in a week, you're going to hire people. It's no, we're going to bring you on because I'm now a product marketing director specific to three different product, one product line, which underneath that's a bunch of different products okay. and then two services for four different companies. Holy smokes. So did they, have a, <laughs> did, were they, did they contract that out before? Was that? And no, that, it never, they never did it. Oh, wow. So, so they're really just starting tapped, from scratch here. Yeah. There's a mm-hmm. whole untapped market that you could really make an impact on. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. So I've got a question since we're kind of coming around back around to what you're doing. So 
you mentioned you did, you know, uh, you work, did work in IT, uh, industry, demolition, uh, recycling. So like really industrial type companies, was that something mm-hmm. that was there, was there a reason or was, what was your motivation to choose, you know, companies like that instead of like, oh, I want to go be a director of marketing for like Vogue or you know what I mean? Like somebody, something that's, has more flair and more like options of, for creativity in my, in my opinion. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You would think, you would think. So yeah. there's two sides to look at it. One. So when you're looking within like, IT manufacturing, recycling, or now I'm in like more supply chain. Okay. Um, but still within, uh, manufacturing. So with my current job, they have their hands in oil, ag, food production. You know, they keep things running. Yeah. That's all recession proof. None of that mm. stuff goes away. Right. My, my job's not going anywhere. These industries aren't going anywhere. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a very secure place to be and what's interesting is all of these industries have been a little late to the game when it comes to marketing it -hmm. was never a focus but now it is because especially like we'll look at recycling or like so it's not we don't recycling is a bad word now so is scrap so it's the recycled materials industry so that comes into steel production you know paper things like that and even with my current company they like i said they have their hands in every little facets of manufacturing, production, whatever it may be, Hmm. nobody thinks about that, Mm -mm. right? Those are all hidden industries. So the normal person isn't going to think about where their recycled material goes when they throw it in a bin. For sure. Nobody's going to think about what parts go into making sure my food gets produced. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to an ice cream factory the other day and watched, looked at the production floor and looked at all the facets of components and items that my company now has within this this food production that nobody yeah. thinks about and without yeah. it it's not going to happen yeah it's like it's so in there's the always background. an interesting way yeah there's always an interesting way to show it yeah yeah well it seems like uh th- this is something that has just been sticking out in my brain a lot recently especially with a lot of the interviews that we've done but um like when it comes to what you're doing, it seems like a big deal. It is a big deal to figure out like, okay, you've got this thing and how can we like change our perspective on it? You know, Mm -hmm. like how can we look at it from a new angle or or from some new way? And so that seems to be something that I've noticed just being, you know, talking to other creative people and seeing how like perspectival shifting can really impact the creative process. So is that, I mean, in a way, it almost seems like that's kind of like the fundamental thing that you do in, in like marketing, right? It's like, mm-hmm. what what's the perspective I can put on whatever product or, you know, whatever industry that's going to, you know, highlight it in an interesting way? Well, and it's a, you always have to look at, okay, who are we trying to reach? Are they going to mm-hmm. be a potential customer? Or do we affect their lives in some way? They might not be a customer, but they could still affect this industry. Mm. Public perception goes a long way especially when that public perception affects the laws that regulators put in place. Wow. Valid. Yeah. So it's it, in a way, some of the work that you're doing can actually 
follow down that entire chain all the way to you know lawmakers in a given district or a given state and that can impact like the industry that you're in so that's mm-hmm. a very important job as it turns out to, to have someone marketing right <laughs> you don't yeah. i mean you don't think about it in that way you know because it, it, i think that as a as a non-marketing type person right um I think I've sometimes found myself thinking about it like, you know, it's like, oh, how do I sell to people or, or you know, how do you get people's, people to look at a product, you know, and it, it's obviously a lot bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it always depends on who the audience is, you know, what is the goal that you're trying to put out there? or what's, what's the goal of the content, right? What, what do you want them to perceive from this? But also the big thing is your message can mean one thing, but if it's perceived in another way, that's what matters. It's wow. how they perceive it. So That's you also have to no, really be no. mindful of how it's going to be interpreted. So you have to, you almost have to put yourself in their perspective as well. Like, you know, your own perspective, but then you put yourself in their shoes and try to like, how could this be received this way? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So there's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of just sh- kind of having to shift your perspective a lot, aren't you? There's a lot of psychology <laughs> that goes to it. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, you mentioned earlier the the psychology aspect, and I'm I definitely just a, a lay person as far as psychology is concerned, but it's it's an area of interest of mine. So, yeah. like, uh, is is there what, what kind of a glimpse into the the psychology of marketing could you could you offer a simpleton like me? <laughs> um, more so, it's you know the psychology of how people buy, right? Like, if your mm-hmm. goal is to sell a product, there's what's going to catch their interest and then what ultimately makes them decide to buy that item. And then how are you going to sell that item? Right? So what ways can you sell this to that person? Right? There's always a need to like, it has to benefit them in some some way. Right. That's what they care about. People are old. No matter what people are selfish. So if it does something for the <laughs> greater good, coming. no, if it does something for me, yes. Right. right. Yeah, that is true. Well, and it, it, it makes sense, right? Because if you're asking uh, a potential customer to give up their hard-earned money, right, mm-hmm. then they better really benefit from it, you know, and especially because then the benefit is tangible to them. It's not like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, give us money to go to the greater good, whatever that means, you know, and that d- depends on who's speaking those words and and what they actually mean by those words. But you know, it, let's say they do give money for the greater good, like they'll never see the impact of that likely. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, ultimately it makes a lot of sense. It's like, of course I'm going to do the thing that I'm actually going to be impacted by, you know? So it's, yeah, it's an interesting perspective. I've never considered it like that before. Well, when you look at, you know, selling to companies, you know, they have to be able to justify that spend. If they're looking yeah. at spending anywhere, even if it's $20,000 up to 3 million, you know, that has to be justified. They have to see that return. That's a big investment. So yeah. they got to make something from it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, yeah. That makes sense. So you were talking about, you know, you're in the ice cream manufacturer in the manufacturing facility. So like, was there anything specific in, you know, you don't have to share details you don't want to but was there anything specific that was where they're like wow people need to see this or you know i think people would really enjoy seeing that process so this was i had gone to the facility when i was 
at this company for two weeks. So for me, it was more of a, oh my gosh, like our company is much farther reaching than I would even expect. Because mm. I'm still learning, you know, yeah. what industries we are in and what industries we impact and the role that we play, you know, but it's, it's just when you see a production line for an ice cream factory, you don't really, you just don't think about it. I didn't think mm-hmm. about it. It just, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see, you know, when you go into a grocery store and you see whether it's the produce, you know, you don't think about the farmer that had a planet, the mm-hmm. tractors that had to go through and pull it up, the people that had to touch it to get into boxes and the people that had to drive the trucks and then what those trucks are made from and then where that fuel came from. You know, yeah. there's the whole supply yeah. chain. Yeah, it's an enormous uh, process just to get food in a grocery store for people to buy. And, you know, I think that's one of the it, it's a it's, it's such an, an interesting benefit and uh, privilege that we have to be able to just, you know, go to the store and buy the food that we want. At the same time, you know, sometimes I wonder if more people were aware of that process and what the food on the shelf when they're in Walmart or whatever grocery store they're buying at, you know, like. If like what, what knowing what that process is like would mean to them. I don't know. It's because, because again, you know, back to perspectives, right. It's like, we, we kind of show up with our modern perspective of like, well, I need to go to the grocery store and the grocery store needs to have food and I need to buy it. And mm-hmm. that's how this, that's how you get food on the table. But not so long ago in, in the world's history, people were like, you know, buying from like their local farmer in their town. So and that was kind of all there was. Or so, themselves. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, it is, it's interesting to see, you know, I, I, I used to, when I was a kid, I'd see like the, those, those shows on, I don't even know what channel it would be on, but it was always like the how stuff is made type of deal, yeah. you know? Yeah. Where they, I love that yes. show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it would show you like the, the inside process of like how these mechanical processes are set up to get ice cream in a tub that you can go buy at Walmart. And it's like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. Like mm-hmm. that's how they do that. Yeah. You know, there, I, I can't think of any particular examples right now, but I remember just watching and being like, that's not how I would have guessed that they would have done that, you know? So it's, it's just interesting to imagine being on, on the inside well, of those con- industries and seeing it. Mm-hmm. Consumers have a massive disconnect of yeah. where things come from, mm-hmm. you know? They just don't think about it anymore. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Living Creativity Podcast. We hope you found value in today's discussion and are feeling inspired to live out your creative life. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to any resources we may have mentioned and to join our Discord community where you can connect with other creatives. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have any ideas or feedback you'd like to leave us, you can drop it in the appropriate channel on the Discord server, or you can send us an email at livingcreativitypodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, the best way to do so is by leaving a rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. Thanks again, and as always, keep creating. Keep creating.